This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher. And on today's episode, I want to talk about different types of intimacy that can happen in our relationships, as well as emotional needs in our relationships. So before just diving right in, which is generally what I normally do, I want to give a little context and a little backstory to kind of how I've been feeling and kind of how this conversation that I want to have with you today came up. So a couple of days ago, I started a podcast episode from Huberman Lab or maybe it's Huberman Labs. I'm not sure um, if there's an S on the end or not. I can't remember. Um, But it was with David Goggins. And, you know, many years ago, I came across David Goggins, and I actually introduced his book and some of the different videos and whatnot that I saw with David Goggins to my boyfriend at the time, um, who uh, I left the relationship with due to the fact that he was highly avoidant, you know, avoidant attachment style. Deeply love him, but needed to step away from that relationship. So as I was listening to David and um, Andrew speak, I, I had a few different things come up and I had kind of one really big trigger, at least for me. And that kind of led into thoughts on, you know, different types of intimacy, as well as different needs within our relationships. So first, as I was listening to David Goggins, it reminded me of a time many years ago, where I was really very focused on trying to heal, right? Trying to get past a a bad relationship, I, at that time, I was still friends with uh, the guy who I introduced uh, David Goggins' work to, uh, who I then dated. And, you know, I kind of felt this this need to get up really early to, um, you know, kind of excessively work out. And it was through listening to this podcast episode that I realized that David uses his kind of extreme nature Yes, partly too, as he says, not to become that 300 pound person again. But I think he uses it as a way to work through his own wounds and trauma. And I notice a lot of similarities between the guy that I dated in the past and David Goggins. At the same time, though, recently, if you have been listening to the podcast and whatnot, I've really... I would say over the last five years or so, begun to adopt a much more feminine approach to my life. A little bit more of the slow living, um, a little bit more of the luxury. And what I found is that with a balance, right? Like even this morning, I went out and did something hard. Um, I didn't want to because it's been very icy, very snowy, very cold here. And I still have gotten up in the mornings and run and worked out in my garage gym that has been, you know, 30 degrees. Um, But this morning, it was kind of an icy rain. And I was like, ugh, I do not want to go do this. And I did a few things around the house, uh, cleaned a couple of things. And then I said, nope, it's time to go and do it. 
So in with that kind of aspect, I really appreciate, you know, David Goggins. I believe he's also talking to a very specific kind of set of people for the most part. Um, you know, the folks who don't necessarily, you know, they're just kind of constantly looking for motive for motivation to be motivated instead of sometimes just going and doing the hard things and knowing that doing the hard things gets you to where you want to go in life. On the other hand, I have found that that completely and utterly exhausts me as a feminine woman. I need access to beauty. I need access to luxury. And and of course, that's what I determine it to be. Not that I have certain brand names or, you know, whatever. Those can be nice. But, um, you know, for me, it's not, uh, you know, holding an Hermes bag uh, that would cost me thirty to $50,000. For me, it's a beautiful leather handbag, you know, that's a classic style, classic color, something like that, right? And so as I'm listening to this podcast episode, I, I'm really struggling with these extremes in terms of like my feelings and my emotions. And then Andrew asked David and said, you know, I don't really know how to phrase this question, whatever. Um, but I want to talk about relationships, particularly intimate relationships, you know, girlfriends, that kind of thing. And he said, you know, when I'm alone, I get more done. I also understand the balance that is kind of needed sometimes the the things that, you know, having a family or being in a relationship can bring to you a woman who says you've got this, that kind of thing. I'm sure that he derives more from his relationships than just a cheerleader. At the same time, though, this is something I really struggled with. Because in my life, as I have worked on becoming more and more of a high value woman, I am very attracted to men who are a bit dominant, um, men who are successful, um, and not just in terms of society's definition of success. Yes, that is one form of it. But these also tend to be the kind of high value men who work a lot. I really appreciate and need a man who lives at his edge, who goes after the things that he wants and needs from his life. Because otherwise, you know, he's coming back to me in kind of this this deficit, right? This place where he's he's not, he's not fulfilling the things he needs in his life. And I need a man who does that. I am also the kind of woman, um, based upon my own feminine archetypes. I like my solitude. I want connection and closeness, but I also want some solitude every day, every single day. And, but listening to these clearly very successful men, it really triggered something in me. Um, because on the other hand, I also read a lot of romance books. Um, a lot of it's dark romance, a lot of it's dark mafia romance. Some of it's a little bit of the small town. As if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know, I'm a sucker for a really good enemies to lovers. And then I kind of had to step away from some of my feelings and my thoughts. And I had to remind myself, you're not everything you think and you're not everything you feel. And this trigger, let's go deeper with it. Let's not run away from the feelings. Um, You know, if I'm feeling angry, what's behind that? Is that a loneliness? Is that a frustration? Is that what is that really kind of underneath all of that? 
and what I kind of, you know, kind of had to bring to my own self, to my own mind was really that just because there are some men who, you know, uh, perhaps either treated you, treated me in certain ways in the past, right? Where we, we were not a priority. I don't need to be a priority every single moment of the day. I want a man who goes and does his thing. At the same time, with my relationship, my last relationship uh, with the guy in Chicago, deeply avoidant, he only wanted to see me once every six months. Obviously, that only lasted two cycles, and then I was done. Um, but also, you know, he would call me when it was when he needed something from me. And, you know, David's response to this was actually really interesting, because even though um, the guy that I dated in Chicago, he, I think he really resonated um, on a very high level with David. Um, a lot of the abuse that happened in childhood, um, you know, a lot of the self-hatred. Uh, David Goggins talks about the fact that there is no carrot for him. There is only a stick. And again, I think that this is how he does his own kind of self-healing, how he works through his own wounds and trauma. Um, but he did say, in a relationship, I let the person know exactly who I am. What This is what you're getting. But also, I give her exactly what she needs. I give her everything that she asks for. Now, he also said, and by the way, I'm going to swear. So if you have small ears, turn it off. Um, but Or put in some headphones. But he said, I do that so that the people I love and care about will leave me the fuck alone. Obviously, you know, I'm not here to tear down David Goggins or Andrew Huberman. I think they're both phenomenal human beings in their own right. Not something, though, that I want to emulate. And what I found really interesting about that, though, was the actually making sure that the needs are met. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't get to talk with, you know, David Goggins' um, uh, girlfriend. You know, I don't get to talk with Andrew Huberman's girlfriend. I don't know what that looks like for them. But what I realized with all this kind of frustration and some anger, right? Uh, the, these triggers that kind of came up for me, what I noticed was that do I have to give up wanting you know, a high value, assertive, uh, you know, man who's highly successful navigates, you know, um, male dominated hierarchies. Well, uh, you know, no, I don't. And I also, but that also doesn't necessarily mean, because obviously I'm not going to choose the man who doesn't respond well to my needs or who says, you know, um, this is, this is the only amount of time I'm willing to give you. Um, but can I also have the kind of really deep, close connection? Yes, we both go and do our own independent thing, but then we're also dependent on each other in some ways and where we can be, frankly, a little bit obsessed with each other. You know what I mean? Like the best friend, the, you know, kind of all of the things. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that, yes, that is actually something that, um, you know, very much can happen. Um, I'm reading a new book. Well, actually, I, I started it, I think, in November. 
And um, then I reread it multiple times because I love it. It's probably number two after um, Carnal Urges with Declan O'Donnell and how he treats Sloan. I absolutely love that. Um, but, you know, this this book was uh, really fantastic as well. Again, the enemies to lovers kind of thing. Um, it is called Only Mine by Laura Pavlov. And in the book, she says, you know, uh, this is the female character, the dirty talk, the banter, the arguing, the attraction, the sex. I, I've never enjoyed hating someone so much. And, you know, it's this, that, that kind of space where you can still get all the things that you need. And this really led me to thinking about the emotional needs in a relationship and then intimacy um, and the different types of intimacy, because there are multiple different types. And for me, it's always a really nice thing every once in a while when there's a trigger that comes up, like I just shared, or something comes up, you know, based upon something I've read um, or studied or whatever, where I go a little bit deeper with it. So for me, um, you know, I, I dove a little bit deeper and looked at some of the different kinds of, you know, um, I, I would say emotional needs in relationships and really kind of looked at, you know, how that can show up for, for each of us, but also, you know, for me in particular. So as I was looking through, you know, these different kinds of emotional needs. Um, there are a lot of different people who say a lot of different things, but I came across nine that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, and these different types of emotional needs can be security, right? A safe environment where we can fully develop, um, control having a sense of autonomy, not necessarily just trying to control another person, but autonomy over our own lives. There can also be privacy, opportunity to reflect and, you know, kind of consolidate our experience. Uh, for me, again, that's a bit of solitude, the privacy of my own home, uh, the privacy of you know, living the life that I want to live, but also the the solitude, being able to uh, kind of combine that with the autonomy. And then there's, of course, intimacy. And again, we're going to dive a little bit deep, deeper into the different types of intimacy, because there's more than just one. I know a lot of people um, will kind of consider that just sex, but there are actually multiple types of intimacy. And again, this is that emotional connection to others. It could be through friendships, but also through intimate relationships. We can often have emotion and emotional need for achievement, a sense of our competence, um, our abilities, um, set, you know, going after the kinds of goals that we have, achieving them, and you know, continuing to build that stack of proof that we are who we say we are. Then there's also attention to give it, to receive it. And this is a form of nurturance. Then there's also meaning and purpose, which really comes from being stretched 
uh, by what we think, what we do. Again, this could be, you know, even today, going out for that run in the icy, cold conditions. You know, when I was done, and I've got a, a nice little uh pretty, I mean, for me, it was a pretty high number on the strain scale on my whoop. You know, um, I, I felt like I had accomplished something for the day. Um, it gives me a sense of meaning and purpose that I am building the life that I want, that I have the kind of habits that are going to keep me healthy. And then it also makes sure that my brain is really clear for, you know, starting a podcast episode for the day. Another um, emotional need can be community feeling connected, not just to the the people in our uh, immediate family or even our tribe, but also a wider community. And then as well, an emotional need can also be status, uh, you know, within a social group. We all get to determine what that looks like, but these can be some different kinds of emotional needs. And, you know, as Andrew and um, David were talking on Andrew's uh, podcast episode, you know, we all kind of have these kinds of emotional needs. And finding people who allow us to be fully who we are, as we continue to develop, as we continue to determine, you know, what, you know, are we getting our emotional needs met? actually just did a podcast episode on, um, you know, emotional needs and emotional neediness. Um, and I think that it's so important that we first meet these needs as much as we can within ourselves. But it's also healthy to have other people meet those needs to a certain degree. What I find also really interesting is different types of intimacy. So, Intimacy is this sense of closeness, right? This, this kind of being connected on a deeper level. This ability to share um, our lives, to share the different kinds of things that are, you know, happening, our thoughts, um, to share our space, and then also to trust someone as well. And what I find, in, you know, that's really interesting is that, you know, a strong emotional connection, it shows up as love, it shows up as trust, it shows up as respect, it shows up as meeting emotional, you know, the emotional needs of our partner especially when they're in that healthy space and they're also working to meet their emotional needs. And we are adding to that. So we're really creating this kind of close connection with someone. Again, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I gravitate so much towards the enemies to lovers. It's two people who don't really want to, you know, they're, they're good on their own right? They're doing really amazing things with their life. In that book I was telling you about that was written by Laura Pavlov, you know, these are two highly successful people. And, but the attraction is there. And what they find underneath the attraction in the sex is something that is so much deeper. They become each other's best friend. They trust each other implicitly. They deeply respect each other. 
and they are, you know, and then it's this working towards a deeper understanding. You know, he really understands that, you know, uh, so in the book, she says, uh, she was the most stubborn, strong, infuriating, beautiful woman I'd ever met. The missing piece I didn't even know I needed. And I think that that's the interesting thing when we find that person who meets some of the emotional needs that we have. We really connect on this deeper level of intimacy. Um, you know, and again, it, it's more than just the sex. It doesn't only exist during sexually intimate times. It can show up in multiple other ways. So I found a couple of different articles and it, a lot of the research has been done on, you know, different types of intimacy. And I found 10 um, that seemed fairly specific. And the first one um, was, you know, this could just be uh, an intimacy in a work or a corporate um, environment, right? Where, where you increase your own satisfaction um, by having this very comfortable, open kind of work environment where you're able to share your insights, where you are able to um, seek feedback, right? Uh, offer constructive feedback, but also receive it. Uh, then there's also an aesthetic intimacy. So this is where you and the other person or maybe other people, they appreciate a certain kind of beauty. Um, whether it's something about a person, maybe it's nature. Um, maybe it's the love of what was that in CrossFit, we used to call it virtuosity of movement. I think that this is also true for people who perhaps do yoga, or I've also found this to be true in jujitsu, right? The, the beauty, the aesthetic beauty of the, the physical output. Then there's also the aesthetic beauty of art, of gardening, of painting, of, you know, um, a, a musician, a band, um, you know, a, a symphony and an opera, whatever it is, right? But it's this, uh, it could even be a sport, right? I, I often see the deep beauty of hockey, right? And the movement of the puck on the ice and the back and forth between the players. And so when you have this kind of aesthetic intimacy with someone you can look at something and take it in together and have mutual enjoyment. Um, you know, this, again, it can be enjoying a play. It can be, um, you know, going to, um, you know, the Grand Canyon or something with um, your friend, with a family member. I just came back from Knoxville as well as Asheville. Uh, so Knoxville, Tennessee and Asheville, North Carolina. And, you know, it was January. And so, you know, the conditions were a bit colder and whatnot. But the beauty was so different. You know, the the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains, the beauty was so different than, you know, what I have out here in the Pacific Northwest, but yet beauty all the same. Um, And so there, there can be this kind of aesthetic intimacy of really appreciating something together. There can also be conflict intimacy. 
this can happen, I think, particularly in a couple, right? Where you understand and also respect the person's differences. Um, again, you know, getting back to the enemies to lovers trope, I find it so fascinating that, you know, when it, when a writer has done it well, it's never the two people necessarily attacking each other. They're not nasty and mean to each other, but it is this, it's this ability to be frustrated by it, but also, also be completely turned on by the the little things about someone else that is so different from you that can, again, bring up all of this frustration, which can also, of course, lead to some physical intimacy and whatnot, um, the, a, a deep kind of attraction. But what I find is that it it fundamentally highlights the differences. And it's the differences, particularly, again, this is enemies to actual lovers, right? And so there's a friendship that forms. Because that thing about that person that really annoys you is also, you know, when we think about our greatest strengths and our greatest weaknesses, it's kind of like a broadsword, right? They're one and the same. They're together. And so the thing that really irritates you about the person is often the thing that you wish that you had access to in your own life, right? The way that they think about something. In this particular book, it you know, uh, he got frustrated with her at one point because of the way that she, you know, she, she wasn't able to just stay kind of calm and cool. And he was like, but that's also the thing that I love about her is her intensity, her fire, you know, kind of what she brings. Um, and that was very much the opposite of him. So conflict intimacy is very important in any sort of relationship because each person can maintain their own autonomy and individual thoughts and feelings and beliefs and viewpoint of the world. Yet they can still maintain this healthy relationship. And, you know, what I find really interesting is, you know, I've read a lot of, I think I've read every single book um, by doctors, John and Julie Gottman. Some of them have just been by Dr. John Gottman, but Gottman talks often about the fact that conflict is not only healthy in a relationship, it's highly necessary. It is also inevitable if we can disagree with each other, if we can talk about it, if we can be respectful, if we can um, sometimes compromise, if we can come to some sort of resolution or agreement, then this really creates the foundation of not only conflict intimacy, but also healthy in conflict and also also healthy intimacy in the relationship. Um, this is one of the things that I've learned. Again, this wasn't an intimate relationship, but, you know, sometimes my father and I have very differing viewpoints. And sometimes that is also due to, you know, like his relationship with my mom sometimes. And I will often say, I don't agree with you. I see how certain kinds of uh, things, you know, like this bothers you about me, this uh, this bothers me about you. Yet at the same time, I can support you regardless of what you believe, what you think, or what your choice is going to be. Because fundamentally, I love you and I care about you. 
And so, you know, when we can discuss uh, different life values, different religious views, um, where we can, it, it doesn't have to be a war zone, where it can be that kind of discussion, and we can say, hey, no, I actually disagree with that. At the same time, tell me more about why you think this way. I'm not just going going to instantly try to shut it down. Particularly in an intimate relationship, I care about you. So that means I also care about all your thoughts, all your feelings, why you think about something the way that you think. Um, you know, finding an approach that works where we can both disagree and continue to build the levels of closeness within our our relationship. Then there's also something called social intimacy. This is that kind of space where we can really confide in another person. Uh, we can be somewhat open. Um, there's an honesty to our connection and our conversation with the other person. I feel a little bit um, kind of uh, with this conversation that we're having right now that you're listening to. You know, I shared something about this trigger that came up for me and the ability to be a bit open about those things. You know, also how I kind of processed and worked through that, how I chose to see things, how I chose to go a little bit deeper. And, you know, perhaps you will understand and perhaps you won't, uh, you know, understand kind of where I was coming from at the same time, though, what I find really interesting about social intimacy is that it's not solely based on verbal connection and verbal communication. Um, obviously, at, at this point on the podcast, we can't do the body language, right? Being attuned to someone else's body language. But in a social context, if we were face to face, we could do that. Now, another interesting aspect of uh, social intimacy is that you can experience this with someone at work, with a friend. Um, you know, you can experience this with someone that you, um, you know, ordered your coffee from or ordered dinner from. Um, this doesn't have to just be the long-term intimate relationship. And I find that the social intimacy is very important because we have this need to connect. We have this need to not only be an individual, but also to be part of something bigger, to be part of a tribe. And what I find really interesting is that this can help us have, I think, uh, I believe that there's been multiple studies done on it, but we also can work through our thoughts and our feelings. We can feel less depressed. We can feel more connected and close when we do have certain kinds of social intimacy and interactions. So some examples of this, you know, uh, creating rapport with someone at work, um, you know, talking, I just called my parents uh, last night and said, Hey, um, you know, would you guys be interested in going up snowshoeing? Um, you know, that, that kind of connection, so that, you know, maybe we could have a conversation and talk a little bit, right? See how they're doing, see what's come up for them in their life. 
This can also be, you know, um, doing a little co-regulation maybe with a friend, right? After you've had a rough day at work, or maybe you check in on them because they've been going through something difficult. And, you know, I find that that is also a, a real deep part of the intimacy that we need. Another is creative intimacy. This is, this kind of signifies those times when we are actually creative with, uh, again, our partner, our friend, our colleague, um, also, you know, maybe a family member. Um, this allows us to feel very connected. Um, this also really allows us to have this kind of, be, the, the connection comes from a shared experience. For me, this was always really enjoyable, you know, um, in different spaces at, at work when I would, we, we would kind of have a breakthrough together. Oh, look, we, we figured out what this thing is. We're going to solve this problem. We're going to move this thing forward. And we do it in a creative way because we all kind of come together and offer insight or offer our thoughts, right? On the, on the topic. And so then when a, when something happens, when we move something forward, it feels very collective. It feels like a very shared experience. Um, it share, it feels very connected. And again, another form of intimacy. Um, to me, this can also be, you know, it can be, of course, more than just at work. This can happen certainly with, uh, again, our family members, our friends. Uh, I love kind of doing this kind of thing with my friends where, you know, we creatively kind of come up with different ideas or different things. Uh, we're able to even do physical things that are fun together. Um, you know, read that book together, do that thing together, enjoy creating and connecting in this kind of way. This can also happen with our partners, certainly as well. Another kind of intimacy is experiential intimacy. So this is kind of leisurely activities. This is connecting in a way, forming intimacy where we spend time with someone, but we also do something that we both really enjoy. This could be something mental that we both enjoy. This could be something physical that we both enjoy. It could be something emotional that we both enjoy. So this could uh, show up as, you know, uh, dressing up and, uh, you know, going out with some friends. This could be trying a new restaurant with somebody, uh, you know, a family member, uh, going with your dad, going with uh, a colleague of yours. This could also be for me, one of my favorite things is spending time together in the kitchen, creating a beautiful meal, going on a walk together, trying something new. Those are all kind of fun ways of doing something that is an experience. Don't get me wrong. I do enjoy a lovely gift, um, you know, from time to time, especially since, you know, we just went through the holiday season, um, you know, winter if you celebrate Christmas or something uh, of that nature, gifts are lovely. For me, one of the things that I really enjoy most is kind of that shared experience, 
that time together, that creating a memory of some kind, you know, holding hands and walking through the streets of New Orleans, trying out some new food or, um, you know, going on an adventure together, going on that hike, doing that thing, traveling, going somewhere new. So that's experiential intimacy. Then there's also uh, something that is called intellectual intimacy. This is a really big one for me. So this is where we work to not only just work to understand, but we simply do understand the interests, experiences, hobbies, and I would say kind of intellectual side of another person. This is where connection and enjoyment comes out of that kind of intellectual intimacy that we have together. I believe the term for this as well is called sapiosexual, where I know for me, I find a man exponentially more attractive. I am more, um, I, I have these uh, feelings of being much more like intellectually stimulated, but then also physically stimulated. Um, I feel more aroused. I feel more sexual around the person when we have these really close connections on an intellectual level, when we discuss really interesting things or topics, and then the conversation just kind of flows and goes down all these different kinds of avenues. One of the things that I really enjoyed doing with my last boyfriend was we would read, it wasn't always a book a month, but we would each bring forward a book and say, hey, this is a really good one. Um, and then we would talk about it and we would have these long, interesting kind of discussions. And these books ranged on you know a lot of different topics. Um, a lot of it was psychology or personal growth or, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, when we, when we disagreed, um, you know, there, you know, we listened to each other's point of view. Uh, we listened to, you know, how that fit into that person's life. There was just this depth of intimacy in a way that felt very, again, for me, it always feels like deeply arousing. Like I am exponentially more sexually attracted to someone when there's that intellectual intimacy and intellectual connection. Then there's also something called spiritual intimacy. This is generally where we share the same beliefs as another person. Uh, it could be a religious, it could be a spiritual kind of um, context, it could be a little bit more universal than that. Um, what I find really connects us in the intimacy is that we have a similar set of values and ethics. Often they can still differ a little bit, but this is also kind of that space where someone really can step in and offer maybe some new information or whatnot. Um, you know, but, but we can also have this very deep shared appreciation for life, for, um, you know, soul, right. That, that kind of soul, uh, 
searching or connection or, you know, what does, what does our soul need? What are kind of the bigger ideas and whatnot in life's, in life, the, the beliefs, the interests that we have? Um, and if we don't agree, it's still a place where we can talk about it and go a bit deeper. We can share our own spiritual experience and have it to some degree understood by the other person. Um, this can even happen in the space of volunteering together, um, going to some sort of spiritual service, right? Church service together. Um, you know, reading from a religious text, reading from a spiritual kind of book. Uh, this can also even extend into experiencing nature together. One of the things that uh, my father often says is, you know, I often find God walking through the woods. You know, in nature, there's this deep kind of presence that's with you that could be watching a sunrise, that could be, you know, um, watching a sunset, that could be experiencing the stars together. Whatever that is, that could definitely be a bit more of that spiritual intimacy. Then there's also emotional intimacy. This is, regardless of whether or not they are negative or positive, you are able to share your deepest feelings. Um, you're able to be vulnerable. You're able to express yourself in a way that leads to a deeper sense of understanding. To some degree, you know, you might be looking for a little bit of validation because of that understanding, you know, kind of the validation is connected to that, but it's effortless and it flows. I don't know about you, but they're just those people that I just deeply connect with on an emotional level. They, you know, even if they don't quite get it because they didn't experience it, they're that really wonderful listener, but they also have a shared experience from something else where they can contribute as well. And they, they don't judge the feelings. They don't judge the emotion that comes up for me. Instead, we, we really uh, both give and receive in that space. One of the things that I find really interesting is that learning emotional intimacy early on in life is really said to be the foundation that then leads to creating those deeply connected, deeply satisfying, deeply long lasting relationships throughout our adult lives. Now, one of the things that we must have in order to be able to relate to someone in an emotionally intimate way is a sense of safety. That is this kind of safe place to be able to be open and vulnerable to them. I know that this is true, certainly for men in intimate relationships, but it's also very true for women. Uh, we both, although we may come at it a little bit of a different way, we both really need this kind of safe place where, you know, um, sometimes I can break down and cry. I can be very honest and very open and very vulnerable, really share the, kind of the depths of my heart, my my emotional experience, and it is not rejected by the other person. And also we create that emotional connection when we're able to do that for them as well. 
where they are able to really open up, really sit with themselves, but also with us to have that person who is there, regardless of the, the depth, um, the, the vulnerability that they share. And it is that very kind of safe place for them to reach out to us to, to get that connection that they're really looking for. Um, this of course can look like, you know, having those deeper conversations about, you know, what you're both looking for in the relationship or whether or not your emotional needs are being met in the relationship. Um, you know, this can be really sharing your private thoughts, uh, sharing some of your fears, some of your triggers, some of your, you know, the, the ugly things, the dirty things, the, uh, the things that are, you know, very repressed, right? That of course can be with a partner, that can be with the friend that we have. Um, this is when sometimes we feel really very stressed to share it, but it, it also creates that deeper connection, especially when the person is able to be like, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that this is what you were going through or whatever. I am here for you. And I am, I am, staying in this space with you. Uh, also, you know, when we open up about our wounds and our trauma, about our story, about our experience, um, you know, sharing our hopes and our dreams, allowing that person to share theirs, really being there for someone reaching out when they're going through kind of a tough time, right? We all have those kinds of moments. And for me, I've noticed in my friendships, you know, the emotional intimacy is really kind of built over time. And, you know, I now have the kinds of friends, I have a small tribe around myself, um, whether that's my sister, whether that's a couple of my close, you know, friends and girlfriends, um, they, they feel safe coming to me and saying, ah, I'm going through this thing or this thing that my parents said, or this thing that my spouse or my boyfriend or my girlfriend said, like, uh, just need to really share it with someone. But I feel the same. It's a reciprocal kind of thing. And I think that that kind of intimacy is, you know, deeply, deeply important. And then of course, there is also physical intimacy, um, sexual intimacy. When we engage in really deeply, very deep, very meaningful sexual experiences, physical interactions, um, where to me, this space has always been very sacred. Um, this is that kind of space where, you know, I can both kind of check in with the other person, but physically I am allowing them into my body. And so I can feel all of the, you know, the either positive emotions or negative emotions. Um, now, granted, this space is not only limited to sexual intercourse. Um, this can also be cuddling, hugging, holding someone, kissing, um, this could be, you know, even, uh, you know, just holding hands, whatnot, right? Linked arms, that kind of deep closeness. Yes, of course, sexual intercourse and intimacy. One of the things that I find in this space of, of intimacy is there's a lot of different kinds of hormonal responses that we will have. 
sometimes positive, sometimes not, depending on whether or not the intimacy was something we want or something, you know, a place where we really feel safe. But when it comes to physical intimacy, you know, oxytocin helps us create this very powerful um, connection with somebody else. It will often have a very positive, very calming effect when we are experiencing this with someone that we deeply care about. Um, One of the other things that I found really interesting through the research was also, you know, cuddling, especially at night in bed. Um, There's something very profound and powerful when two people who are in, in a relationship together, you know, have that physical connection and closeness. Now, of course, it keeps us from uh, you know, and alleviates loneliness, right? It, of course, deepens the connection that we have to them, but it also really stabilizes so many of our other emotions and so many of our other, you know, on a hormonal level. And when we don't have that, when we aren't able to share that with somebody else, uh, that was actually one of the things in my last relationship was, you know, yes, we were in the same bed together, but he didn't like to be touched. He didn't want that kind of closeness after sex or after spending a day together. Um, he even often said to me, like, you know, why well, I, I never hold hands with a woman. And I said, well, is it okay that I'm holding your hand? Well, yeah, I actually like it. And again, that was that moment of like deep closeness and connection. But then I also, you know, there are those times when it's also severed. And so that's to me why, you know, the the physical intimacy is also a very sacred space. We have to be able to have the conflict intimacy. We've got to, we've got to have access to so many of the different types of intimacy to create the really healthy relationship where, okay, why are, do you feel the need to pull away? I'm going to try not to take it personally you know, right now, but um, you know, what is it that you need? What is it that I need? Are we making sure that those, that, you know, um, these different kinds of, you know, emotional needs are being met in one another? And, you know, how can we support those spaces? How can we, you know, help each other in that space? And, you know, really, uh, really move things forward. Um, so when it comes to, you know, how intimacy affects our relationships, when we have access to these different multiple kinds of intimacy, we feel so much, again, it's, it's a depth, right? It's not surface level. And so we, we feel, I would say more than just a a point of connection. Yes, I feel connected to the person then. But I also definitely am the kind of person who feels very fulfilled. Not that I can't find that fulfillment on my own. But there's something very special about, you know, that intimate, whatever kind of intimacy I am experiencing with that person. It's a deep sense of fulfillment. Um, it also creates deeper, 
you know, kinds of um, connections, right? It allows us to trust the person a lot more. Um, to me, when I'm with the right kind of person, whether it's, you know, um, a colleague, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, but certainly in intimate relationships, um, when I'm with that kind of a right person that feels like I can dive into multiple areas, or if not all of these areas, uh, you know, with my intimate partner, I, I feel like I can be my authentic self. And for me, authenticity is, you know, really one of the very big things. It's very important to feel that acceptance, that love, but also that deep freedom to be exactly who, you know, you are meant to be. Um, and so I think for me, a lot of the times it's really evaluating, you know, with the person that I'm with, um, particularly again, I'm going to, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the intimate relationship, but it, it of course covers all kinds of, uh, you know, intimate connection. But what I find really interesting is that, you know, as I'm kind of determining okay, am I able to connect with this person on these kind of multiple levels and in, in multiple areas? If I can't connect with them on very many of them, or it doesn't seem to have the depth that I'm looking for, to me, it really lessens the overall quality of the relationship. And then of course, I have to make some of the harder choices. Usually I wait a little while, continue to reassess. Is this just a kind of, uh, you know, in this context, in this situation, or is this kind of an overall feeling that I have when it comes to this, this person, the partner? Um, I tend to be, okay, that's not true. I am absolutely the kind of person when I love, I love hard. I go all in. Um, I am fairly guarded. Not in like a, I hate all men, stay away from me kind of way, but just in a, you have the opportunity to, to really, I guess, get closer to learn who I am. And I want that same opportunity before, of course, I go all in. Um, but what's so interesting to me is that I, I've never been a person who is very interested in, a large group of friends. Now, do I have a large network? Yes, I do. Um, but, and I have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people that I can turn to where there's maybe a touch of intimacy in different kinds of, you know, different kinds of levels. But one of the things that I find really interesting is that a large group of friends is never going to make up for those one or two really deep, close connections. Obviously, you know, at least for me, one of those hopefully is the, uh, the connection with my partner, right? The, the physical, um, kind of intimacy that also encompasses all of the other kinds of intimacy, but even friendships. And of course, one of the other things, uh, that we know to be true is that the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our lives. And so it's very important to, take a look at our relationships, take a look at, you know, what we're accepting and what we're not within the relationship. I, I was watching um, a TikTok video 
And um, one of the, you know, I guess TikToks, it was a woman and uh, she was, you know, doing some things. The video was showing her, you know, doing different kinds of things and whatnot. Um, but she talked to, or, or in the voice over, it was actually a man's voice, but he, he spoke about a tolerable level of permanent unhappiness. Now, is it true that we have to go about our lives and learn how to make ourselves happy? Well, yes, yes, we very much do. But we also have to really examine the kind of intimacy, the kind of connection and closeness that we have in our most intimate uh, relationships, our friendships. And especially to really understand, you know, the, is the unha- if I'm feeling any of the unhappiness, is it coming from me? Or this is the level of happiness that I get being around this person. And this is the max and it's never going to change. It's always going to remain at this level or it's going to sometimes even, you know, become a little bit worse. That's one of the things that I notice sometimes, uh, you know, being in a relationship with someone who is deeply avoidant. It was this kind of space where, you know, the kind of breadcrumbing effect, but also the kind of, I'm going to, give you what you need. And then I'm going to take it away. And the next time I'm going to give you just slightly less of what you need. And then I'm going to take it away. And it wasn't a taking away necessarily just because, you know, like he's a bad person or something like that, but more so because, you know, that, that level of intimacy was deeply scary and also led to, um, a level of unsafety in childhood. And, you know, what I also think is by, you know, evaluating these kinds of things in our lives, we can also look at, you know, cognitive dissonance, the uneasiness that we feel when, you know, actions and attitudes don't align. And, you know, this, this has such a deep impact on our lives. And I think particularly as women, one of the best things that we can do is realize that the happily ever after is not just meant for, you know, um, the pretty women or uh, the, you know, the, the kind of storybook ending. I don't know if any of you guys watched that um, TikTok video that was the orange peel theory. And you have this woman who is just incredibly beautiful. I mean, you know, this idea that men don't only treat less beautiful women or ugly women a certain way is absolute garbage. Um, you know, it depends on the quality of the person that we're with. And in this kind of a TikTok video, she asked him if he would peel the orange for her. She just wanted a little snack, whatever. Um, but she, you know, had her nails done and whatnot, and she didn't like the orange under her nails and asked him if he would be willing to peel it for her. And then he gave her all these reasons. Oh, no, no, no. You need to do it for yourself. She's asking for this teeny tiny little thing. Hey, babe, will you just peel this orange for me? And it was, no, I'm teaching you how to be a strong, independent woman, which is absolute garbage, by the way. And then it became, you know, when she kind of kept insisting, well, no, like, I'd really like it if you could do this for me. 
And then it became, you know, the, why well, do all this stuff for you? And she's like, but I just did our laundry. Like I fold, I, I washed it, I dried it and I folded it, you know? And then it, then it became an attack on her character and who she was as a woman and her value as a woman. And so it's so important that we look at, you know, what is a tolerable level of unhappiness? I'm not saying everything has to be perfect all the time, but what is that point where I say, no, no more. This isn't, you're giving me the smallest, you know, like the breadcrumbs and telling me it's a full meal. I refuse to accept this. But first we have to refuse to accept that within ourselves. And I think that's part of uh, why I have found as a woman, you know, living and again, I'm not trying to hate on David Goggins, okay? Like, I think the guy brings a lot of value and he's obviously doing what he feels is best for himself in his life. And that's awesome. But for me, con- what one of the things that I found was constantly denying myself things. Oh, well, I will buy those clothes when I've lost five pounds, 10 pounds, whatever it is. That never worked for me. The stick isn't something that constantly works for me. Now, also, the idea of only the carrot will get me what I want is also not accurate. I need a little bit of both, but I need that kind of bigger reason for whatever it is. But I find that I thrive in a space of deep beauty. And, you know, right now I maintain myself. I do all the things that I want and need to do in my life that make sure that I am living a life currently that is utterly amazing. And it's exactly what I'm looking for as I continue to get better and build and find new things and, and go after different things. So that when I'm, you know, 100, 105 on my deathbed, I don't regret anything. This one big, beautiful life that we're given, right? I didn't sit, I didn't spend my time sitting on the couch watching TV, right? That's not that's not what's going to be part of my story. You get to choose yours. But at the same time, I feel that I am much more authentically who I am by being the kind of person who sets a boundary and says, this is what I will accept. And this is what I will not in my relationships. These are the emotional needs that I have. Um, Are you able and willing to meet those? What are yours? Am I able or willing to meet those? And then also, do we have all these different kind of multiple levels of intimacy? Because if not, I'm fine on my own. I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, and that's kind of the space that I'm at. And again, being triggered over the last two days was actually really helpful for me because again, it helped me kind of realign with, no, this is the trajectory I'm on in life. And, you know, was a very, you know, very beautiful thing and very beautiful place. Um, But at the same time, I, you know, we can gain insight and information from so many people. At the end of the day, it's what we decide is acceptable and what is not that I think is so profound for us in our life. So if you are someone who really needs a place to do your self-healing work, I have created something called the Create Love Freedom Members Club. It is a subscription of $29 a month. And um, we are a community of women who are doing our own self-healing work. We believe that we are our own best self-healers and that we can really 
yeah, uh, take life by the lapels, really get the life that we want, particularly as we dive into some of these hard things, these topics, these, these wounds, these traumas that come up for us. So every month I do a live call where, um, you know, you, if you decide to sign up, uh, you can ask questions. Uh, we also have a book club as well going on where we discuss the different kinds of books. Um, other women have mentioned, you know, different kinds of books as well. So I'll keep bringing those forward and, um, you know, books to look at, uh, each month. Uh, we also, um, I also, create each month a, what I like to call a masterclass or a self-healing topic where, you know, I go through something like, um, love addiction. That's what I'm doing for February. Uh, love addiction, uh, the following month, I was going to do limerence first, but I'm doing love addiction first. Uh, love addiction is that space where we, it doesn't really matter who it is, but we need love constantly in our lives. We are not okay being on our own. And then limerence is where we choose a person and they are kind of our limerent object. So our love is very focused on just one person. Uh, but we have looked at multiple other topics, self-limiting beliefs, and we've looked at, you know, attachment style, and we've looked at, um, you know, our, our sense of self-worth and whatnot. And uh, each one of these master classes have multiple videos, and it also has a workbook for you, uh, so that you can go through that topic. Uh, you can also um, ask me to do um, a topic as well, uh, do a master class on a topic. Um, you know, we we look at the inner child, and we look at reparenting ourselves, and we look at all these different kinds of areas to continue to grow. And the beautiful thing is when you sign up, you have access to the archives and all of the past months, but you also have access to the current month that we are talking about and also, you know, the future uh, ones as well. And um, you can go at your own pace. You don't have to, uh, you know, you're not expected to do this and then this and then this. You go at your own pace. You do your healing in a way that works really well for you while being connected to other women and being in a space that is very safe. So we are creating uh, intimacy there as well. I also have a free quiz for you. Uh, on Instagram, I talk a lot about the divine feminine, the awakened feminine, the distorted feminine, and the wounded feminine. And also both the light and the dark qualities of the feminine, as well as the, um, you know, our deep feminine core, as well as utilizing our healthy inner masculine. And so if you want to take the quiz, it is linked here in the show notes. So is the members club. Um, and you will instantly, after you take the quiz, you'll instantly get a, um, you know, you'll get your quiz results and, then you'll also have the option of stepping into our course. So I've created this course called the Feminine Reclaiming, and we go through um, these different areas of uh, each one of these kind of levels of the feminine and how to kind of continue moving yourself forward and then you know, reaching that divine feminine space and really creating the life, the love, uh, the career, you know, all aspects of your life. Um, and then putting also moving that into a space where you're living from your deepest authenticity and your deepest purpose and putting that out into the world. So again, uh, you can click on the uh, links here in the show notes. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. Until next time.